0: support network of all of your co-workers who are there and your leads um, to help you know you know what bars you need to hit.
1: Hello and welcome everyone to Straight Ahead, an animation podcast where we spotlight rising BOC artists who are the future voices of the animation industry. I am Raymond Ozilanda, one half of your co-host.
2: And I'm Yuki Okamoto Wong, the other half of our whole host. Our guest this week is Rebecca Chan. She's a mixed Chinese white artist working on visual development at Tonko House. Would you mind telling us a bit more about yourself?
0: Hi! Um, Yeah, so I am currently at Tonko House. I've been there off and on uh, since I interned there in 2017, um, working on their graphic novel. Uh, I graduated from San Jose State University in May 2019, um, and yeah, I've just been having a fun time getting to work on uh, animated projects over at Tonko, and it's been a lot of fun actually having a job as opposed to homework.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, that that's that's a great feeling. Mm-hmm. Being able to get paid to draw is always nice. Oh, yeah, instead of paint.
2: <laughs> Instead of paying to suffer. <laughs>
0: yeah, <clears throat> yeah, pain to, uh, to learn how to draw, sometimes well, sometimes not.
2: <laughs> so, the way we like to start off straight ahead is by playing a fun little game called In Between. Uh, we're going to give you two similar choices, and you have to choose in between the two of them, and then let us know why.
1: Okay.
0: Ooh. I feel, I feel pressure. I feel the pressure incoming.
1: Yeah. <laughs> no, these, these are meant to be fun. They're like icebreakers, but if you say the wrong answer, we will judge you. Okay. Yeah. Okay. All right. All right.
0: <laughs> exactly.
1: But yeah, it's fun. It's fun. Yeah. Cool. Let's go. All right. So first one. Would you rather have Thor's hammer or Green Lantern's ring?
0: Uh, I think... Mjolnir is cooler, but I would guess I would probably have to go with Green Lantern's ring because you can like it can be anything, right? You can turn, you can create anything. Yeah, <clears throat> I feel like that's the logical choice.
2: It's only limited by your imagination. Yes.
1: Hmm. Plus, it's kind power. of like a plus. Like it's kind of like a phone. You have to like recharge it every now and then, but mm. it should last you the whole day. Hmm. <laughs>
2: oh man that's i'd probably good. run out within like two hours or something <laughs> run out and then like a crisis happens
1: well, that's why you, yeah. gotta oh, sh- on, like, <laughs> you gotta put it on like you gotta put it on battery saver mode you can't just have your ring on full full like full force you gotta
2: ha- you gotta carry
0: a, <laughs> a battery times. pack a rechargeable battery pack just, uh, just in case like,
2: okay but like the green lantern core has so much bureaucracy too anyway <laughs> it's getting too much i think that's a great choice <laughs>
1: Honestly, I would go with I would go with the ring as well cuz like there's some cool like cuz not only is it the ring but with the ring you also get a cool like suit change.
0: Mm. Oh, so like, I guess oh, that's ca- true.
1: Casual clothes and then Green Lantern clothes. Also, I discovered this when I was watching one of the Green Lantern series is that it can also help translate between different people. Oh yeah. So uh. yeah, that's how all the cuz all the all the Green Lanterns are from different planets, so they were able to communicate because of the ring. And there's this episode oh. where uh, Kilowog and Hal Jordan lost their rings. And, like, they were talking to each other. But it was like, wait, why aren't you speaking English anymore? <laughs> and, like, and like, Kilowog is like, wait, why can't I understand you? And they're just, like, trying to figure out how to communicate now because they don't have their rings. Oh, interesting.
2: Universal so I translator. I like that as well.
1: Yeah. <laughs> that makes sense.
2: Yeah. Uh, okay, cool. Uh, next one. Who would you rather have as your two best friends? Sam and Tucker from Danny Phantom, or Spud and Trixie from American Dragon Jake Long?
0: Uh, probably Spud and Trixie.
1: Whoa. That means,
0: (laughs) do I get to become American Dragon Jake Long then? Like, could I transform into a dragon? Hmm. Or is it just like you get the benefits of their backup characters?
2: I think it means you have to have the powers right, because like I mean, yeah. just gaining their best friends is like that's cool, I guess.
1: <laughs> let's say, let's say you do.
2: Let's say you yeah. you become the the American Dragon.
0: Okay, cool. Then obviously, I would choose that.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Want those dragon powers, eh? Oh, that'd be rad. Do you become, do you become original <laughs> Dragon Shakebox? <laughs> or, <laughs> or redesign? Or reboot,
0: yeah. <laughs> OG, OG. OG. Yeah, I like sure. that
2: one too. Even though the the second one, I guess, is supposed to be more like East Asian looking. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. I like the original one. I just thought it was more appealing. Yeah, I could see that.
1: Hmm. I actually, I actually like both if I'm being honest. I think I like the second one because it's more, uh, it's more traditional than
2: mm-hmm.
1: than the original one mm. and it, it made more it just I just wish they started off with that and maybe redesigned the original becoming the, the redesign because mm. I think one of the reasons why they also did it is because he got really buff and it just it just did it just didn't make sense for him to like be learning and doing the things if you if he looks super strong mm-hmm. so being the skinnier serpent one made it look like he's still learning and still like like isn't experienced
2: Mm -hmm.
0: that makes sense yeah but you're gonna become a dragon just become a a, become a
2: buff dragon it's like (laughs) become huge (laughs) why not (laughs) i also kind of like it in my opinion it felt interesting to me because i get why like they went with the the sort of serpent design eventually but also he's like he's like asian american so i was like oh maybe he's sort of like because he's he's like half white isn't he
1: yeah, yeah, his, yeah. His 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 dad's white.
2: His dad's white. Yeah. I was like, hmm,
1: that could be something.
0: <laughs> true. This is what a mixed dragon looks like.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, no, that, that's that's another justification. Buff. That's also true. Oh. <laughs> 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 uh. Well, thanks so much, Rebecca, for playing in between with us. Hopefully, you had a good time. Hopefully, the questions weren't too tough.
0: They were. They were, they were mentally challenging, but it was a good no, Rebecca's days a good now. Wake
2: up, a good wake up. Yeah, that's good. Hit her too hard in the right off the bat. <laughs>
1: So for people that might not know, uh, Tanka House is a small independent studio that was actually started by two former Pixar employees, Daisusumi and Robert Kondo. Uh, their mission is uh, statement is for the studio to create uh, stories that deliver entertainment, awareness, and that spark curiosity. Uh, they've done stuff like the Oscar-nominated uh, Keeper* short. They've done Pig the Keeper* Poems, which is a short series for Hulu Japan. And they've done plenty of other projects as well, including the graphic novel that Rebecca worked on that we might be able to talk to a bit more in depth later on. What is the day-to-day of a visual development artist at Tonka House?
0: Pre-COVID or during COVID? Because it's quite- <laughs> I mean, you could talk about both. <laughs> both.
2: Like, maybe yeah. maybe before and then, like, the shift to to being remote. Mm.
0: Um. Yeah, so before... Well, I guess, like, to start off, like... When I first started at Tonko House, I was like one intern. Um, My friend Laura Swally was the other intern. Uh, And there were maybe like we had one room and there were like 10 people.
1: Yeah, I I remember the one room.
0: (laughs) It was tiny, Um, but it was also really cool because it was such like a tight knit. We kind of were it was uh, it had a very family feel to it because it was so small. Um, and then like, when I came back, uh, they hired me to work full time on, uh, go, Corey Carson, uh, which I started releasing episodes on Netflix. I think they just released a Christmas special. Ooh. Um, and I worked with a small team of other artists. Uh, we were in a, <laughs> we were in a, a different room. Um, and it also became its own, like, little tight-knit crew. We were the Brecky squad. It was so <laughs> much fun. Um, you know, even though there were a bunch of us kind of packed in this little room, um, I would commute in in the morning. Uh, on certain days of the week, we would go downstairs and get pastries from this French pastry shop directly below us. We would oh. all eat pastries together, which was super nice. Um, we would you know, have all the standard like production meetings and talking about our designs and assignments with each other. And it was one thing that I do miss a lot about working in the studio is, you know, just being able to like, see what your friends are working on and be able to say like, Hey, can you take a look at this? Like, I'm not really sure if this is working and just being able to collaborate a lot easier. Mm -hmm. Um, because now uh, I am working on their next big project, which is Oni, and we have been fully remote since August is when I came onto the project, um, and it's definitely a lot different. One because we have forty people on the team now. Oh, um, it's yeah, Compass
1: is expanding. <laughs> That's a huge Oni, expansion. O- Oni isn't partnered with Dwarf Studios, right?
0: Uh, Where? Or am I mistaken? Where it used to be partnered with Dwarf, um, it's not anymore. Um, Where we have a couple other partners that we're working with, um, mm-hmm. but as a, as for Tonko House themselves, with our art team, story and edit team, um, we have a camera team. We're like, I think we're at either thirty nine or forty people. <laughs> which wow. is like a huge
2: house alone, right? Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh. So it's That's crazy. We're starting to like, you know, on Zoom you can only have so many people on the page. So for a <laughs> while we had to keep switching back like we started filling up two pages. It was like so many people, so many names to learn. Aww.
2: Yeah, Ray Ray showed me that studio like once. And it's funny, because on the Instagram, like, you guys, like, take so many uh, pictures, like, for milestone events and stuff like that. And I was Mm like, huh, the studio looks pretty nice. And you get there, and it's like, oh, it's because, like, this wall is painted a color. And when they take a picture, they only take a picture of, like, this corner. And it makes the space look bigger. But it's literally, like, one room with half a divider. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I was like, oh, my God. You guys crammed in here and, like yeah (laughs) all this stuff anyway it was pretty incredible but (laughs) (laughs) it was still really cool um yeah that's 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 great that they're expanding but Mm -hmm. also all like losing that that sort of family feel i guess that's what happens
0: yeah it's like i they expanded pretty fast like we had one room for a while and then Every time I kept every time I came back to the studio to be on a new project, they kept adding rooms. <laughs> they kept adding rooms in like the same building. And then when I was on GoGo, we were in a different building. So we would have to go over back to the main room for our meetings. And now we're all remote and it's like such a different feel between all those different like kind of iterations in the studio size. Um mm-hmm. But I feel like, even though like the size of Tonko House has changed and the location, and uh, you know now we're remote, I feel like they've still maintained the same feeling. I think, mm. you know, every mm-hmm. everyone is very close knit. Um, it's super collaborative, and it's been a lot of fun working with everyone, both the people that I've known since 2017 as well as the people that I've just met, like. A week ago, as <laughs> they keep yeah. onboarding new people. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's been a lot of fun.
1: That's great. No, that's honestly really cool. So, uh, right now, what is it that you like about working on Oni?
0: I'm not sure how much I can say. Um, <laughs> but uh, it's based off Japanese folklore. Um, it's an idea that DICE has kind of had for a pretty long time. Um, and it's kind of. What it's about is about uh, kind of exploring identity and who you are. So it's like super relatable and pretty real. Um, But Oni has been a really cool experience. And I feel like it's been a pretty unique experience because we're fully remote for the entirety of the production. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. So I'm part of the art team and it's super small. Which has been really good because I feel like the amount of growth I've had since August has been pretty exponential. Um, I've been doing everything from uh, mostly characters has been what I've been working on. But I'm starting to get into sets as well. And just seeing how fast everybody works and how like incredibly skilled everybody is. Um, it's been super inspiring and i feel like i've i feel like it's been a good like kind of boot camp almost <laughs> um mm-hmm. helping me get to that next like level of both draftsmanship and i think more importantly like communication cuz so much of it is about like how well you're able to communicate your ideas to the other parts of the pipeline especially to the modeling team it's been hard but it's been a good challenge
2: that's cool no, that's good yeah yeah, yeah. so like a uh, quick question though I uh your art is pretty like uh stylized mm-hmm. um like it's got a, a lot of like really strong sort of like straights and curves and things like that is there like certain hurdles that um you mentioned like um talking to a 3D team uh and like communicating in that way because like like 3D uh sometimes translating from uh 2D stylized to 3D is really difficult to capture that. The look. So mm-hmm. is there anything specific you've run into that you could talk about?
0: Yeah, I think like uh, one thing that I feel like I'm able to do pretty well is I'm a pretty good chameleon. So I can kind of adapt to whatever kind of uh, assignment I have in terms of what needs to be delivered. So far, my assignments have been mostly... About draftsmanship and like more technical drawings as opposed to like, oh, like fun shape design and like what I'm what I typically do more as personal art. This is definitely mm. uh, different from that. So I, I think I've been able to adapt pretty well to the different assignments that I've had. Um, everything has been pretty draftsmanship based, um, and it's been more about like detailed uh turnarounds and detailed uh set elevations and orthographics so it's stuff that like i'm glad i'm able to get practice doing on this production um definitely like the the turnarounds are a pretty key thing that i've had to do in terms of being able to translate dice's designs into Mm -hmm. 3d um <clears throat> and our 3D team, Megalist, they've been super awesome at giving us feedback on our work and interpreting our work as well. So it's always great when you have a, a strong, strong modeling team bringing your work into 3D.
1: So something that I, uh, I think is really interesting to me, and I'd like to kind of hear your thoughts about it. You already mentioned it before you were there as an intern and then you came back to work there full time. How was that transition for you from transitioning from being an intern at Tonka House to being a full time employee? Was there much of a difference, or did it feel kind of the same?
0: Um, I feel like there wasn't too much of a difference. I think the main the main difference is just the passage of time because I I interned in twenty seventeen um, while I was still in school, and then between that time. And graduation, I also freelanced for Tonko. I did contract work on one of their uh, kind of side projects. So between interning and then the contract work for Tonko and then going through um, our BFA program at San Jose State, which was a gauntlet (laughs) in itself, (laughs) I feel like my skills are able to essentially level up to the point where I was ready for full-time work out mm-hmm. of school, um, there definitely was a jump between where I was at the end of BFA and starting full-time on GoGo just in terms of how fast the turnarounds were. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you wouldn't have like a week to do thumbnails for John. You would... You're, <laughs> in one week, you were supposed to... I think we would probably do... We would design our concept for an entire set. And then in another week, we would have to fully packet it and get it ready for 3d modeling. Um, so it was much, much, much faster, but, um, I think that was one of the benefits of working at Tonko is they're super nurturing to their new hires. And they really, the, the people that I've worked with, um, especially on gogo working with Leah tin, who was our, Uh, Seth's lead and then Ryan Matias, who was our character lead. Um, They both were super helpful um, in in helping me get to the level that I needed to be at to be able to uh, pull my weight on the team. Mm -hmm. Even though it was like, there was like a a jump in terms of how fast I needed to be able to do stuff um, Mm -hmm. between everything I learned while interning and then everything I learned in school and through, you know, freelance opportunities, I felt that I had like the, the technical skill set. It was just a matter of like getting faster.
1: Yeah. I think that's always, that's always uh, the case when transitioning to a full-time industry job mm-hmm. is that uh, you don't realize how fast the turnarounds can be. And it does kind of put you into like high gear versus, yeah. versus being, being a student. So that's, yeah, because I, I I think um, I face that as well with with my job. Just realizing, oh damn, yeah, this is the time frame that I have, and there's no like asking for an extension. This like it has to be done at this point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I think I think, but being in that work environment as well, I think it kind of motivates you, and you. I feel like you like even though it might seem kind of daunting at first, uh, you you get used to that that work pacing. Mm-hmm. You kind of challenge yourself and you improve. I don't want to say that pressure, but that expectation, it really helps you improve and move forward. Yeah. Yeah.
2: And like, usually they'll hire you because they're like, oh, yeah, this person can handle it in the mm-hmm. first place. They're like, mm-hmm. oh, you have like the eye, you have the skills to mm-hmm. eventually accomplish this. And like getting faster comes with the job. Yeah. Like you might mm-hmm. be a little slow at first, but you're also like working eight hours on the project during the day and not going to class for like an hour and like maybe working on it between other projects you're like Mm -hmm. focused streamlined on one thing
0: yeah you get that Mm -hmm. time to focus directly on the assignment that you have and you have your support network of all of your coworkers Mm -hmm. who are there and your leads um to help you know you know what bars you need to hit Mm -hmm. um yeah so it's it, it can be hard at first, but I feel like eventually you kind of get this stride where you're able to kind of keep up with uh, your what your leads are expecting from you and what you're able to deliver. So I feel like eventually you get there.
1: Mm-hmm. No, t- you totally do. So can you actually tell us a little bit more about uh, when you were an intern working on the, the Dan Keeper graphic novel? How was that experience for you? And like, what was your thought process when you found out that this is what you're going to be doing as an intern
0: yeah so i actually didn't know that i was going to be working on the graphic novel when i was an intern because they have a very like a uh, specific internship program where it's kind of more of like it's kind of like school it's kind of like a class um so i was a paint intern so um we had like kind of a curriculum of different assignments we would do with like Uh, we would do master copies of paintings and we would do, uh, painting studies outside of, outside of what we would do in the studio at home. We were supposed to make little still life setups and paint them in different, um, usually like overcast or neutral lighting scenarios. Mm -hmm. Um, and then we would, towards the end, we would have, I think I had like two of these assignments where we would paint over like background layouts So I painted over a Ghibli layout from Mononoke. That was so hard. Um, (laughs) It was so hard. Uh, And then I did another paint over um, from some of the rough layouts that Robert had done for, I think, the first book of the graphic novel. Um, And then once we had finished this kind of... Painting curriculum. Then we went on to the graphic novel because um, they were at a position where they could use the extra hands. Yeah, and so Laura Swalley, the other intern, and I—you know—we would do, we would do, uh, we would color block pages, preparing them for painting. Um, we kind of had a specific structure where we would paint everything in a overcast lighting setup first. And then we would do like whatever the lighting scenario was supposed to be, whether it was like sunlight or nighttime afterward. Um, and we got to work with Hiro, who is a super crazy good painter um, on our Japan team. Um, and then JJ Song, who was uh, Laura and I, she was our mentor. Um, we got to work with them um, to show us how to paint. I still don't know how they paint so well. It's like a mystery <laughs> to me. Um, so yeah, it was kind of like a combo school class and also studio work. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was a really good like learning opportunity.
1: So have you have you done another master paint over since then as a fun exercise for yourself? Because I figured like the Ghibli one, I can figure that being like it can be really challenging, but I can see that being super beneficial.
0: I, you know, I really want to, like, in the studio we had, we had this Ghibli layout book that I think you can only get from the Ghibli museum. And it's like Mm. this mega book of just like background layouts from, I think, every movie. So I really want to get that book so that I can (laughs) make scans of the layouts and then do paint over practice. Because it was like, it was really hard, but... I did learn a lot from it. I painted a lot of moss in that Mononoke layout, and then here we are painting more moss on
2: Oni. So who knew? So it came full circle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It came in hand. They, almost like they knew. <laughs> they are like, you'll be
0: painting moss again someday, so better get started now three years early. Yes, yeah, so. of course. <laughs> That's how long it takes to learn how to paint moss.
1: <laughs> yep. To talk more about other stuff that you've done, I feel like probably like one of the best milestones that you've had uh, was working as the visual development lead for the short film, Kairou. Mm. And then for those that may not know, uh, Kairou is about a photographer named Mitsuko who feels like her work isn't good enough and struggles with self-doubt. And throughout uh, the course of the film, we follow her, uh, her emotional state, resolving in her remembering what drives her art. Can you talk to us about uh, what was the goal visually when you were designing this film?
0: Yeah, so Kairu was our thesis film, <clears throat> uh, our final year in school, uh, directed by my my good compadre uh, Denise Chan. Um, we we wanted to set out to do something a little different for our for our final film, and to. I don't I don't know if I would say like I think like kind of kind of raise the bar in terms of what films could look like coming out of our program. Um mm-hmm. we definitely had like a pretty like we, we really wanted to make it as high quality as we could based on the amount of time that we had. Um so for me, since I was uh, I was brought on as the Vizdev lead um for the film, although I did wear a lot of hats while on that film as people are want to do um on i, I think that happens films. with any
1: student yeah student film project yeah. Mm-hmm. you you wear multiple hats
0: all the hats like 20 different hats all at the same time <laughs> um i think my goal for leading the visdev team was trying to figure out what exactly we could accomplish during mm-hmm. the amount of time that we had and as well as what is the highest level of quality that we could hit and, and be able to consistently maintain throughout. Um, you know, cause you could usually invest Dev, right. You, you throw out all these ideas, like, Oh, what if it looked like this? Or what if we, you know, made all these backgrounds super complex, but then when you actually get into production, you want to, you want to make sure that you can keep things as consistently, uh, keep things as consistent as possible. So you don't see like kind of that waver and quality throughout the film. And that was something that I really wanted to avoid. Um, mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And try to keep the film as uniformly as high quality as possible. Um, mm-hmm. So that was probably the biggest thing. And because of that, you know, we had a lot of discussions as to like, oh, you know, for the characters, are they going to be easy enough to animate? They weren't. <laughs> uh, <laughs> as we found out later down the line, they were not. They were some of them were very difficult to uh, especially color and clean up because I didn't know how complex I had made them at the time. Mm. You know, we were we kind of developed a pipeline kind of inspired by how I did uh, how I painted on the graphic novel at Tonko House. I kind of adapted that to our background painting pipeline. Uh, thankfully, like our, the VizDev team I had was super talented, and everybody picked up on new ideas really fast. And they brought all of their they brought ideas of their own to the table, which was really helpful for me. Um, so everyone did such a great job. Um, mm-hmm. I think we were able to maintain that high level of quality, especially in the backgrounds I'm really proud of um, throughout the entirety of the film.
2: I think that's something really important for like students because especially for our program, that's like the first time you get to do a group project and kind of like do whatever you want. Mm-hmm. And it's really easy to become ambitious, like right away, and um, get a piece of VizDev and say, like, "Oh, that's it! Like that's the look." Mm-hmm. But then you like really think about it, and you're like, "But can we produce like a hundred of these? Yeah, in the time that we have, <laughs> mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. not just like because like that one person might also be like the most skilled person on your team, and it's yeah. like we all have to reach that level of uh, polish, and uh, you got to kind of be like reasonable about it." So. Mm-hmm.
1: No, but yeah, like, I, I think you guys totally accomplished what you guys set out to do. Like, Kairou, the story's really well well done. The visuals are super amazing. And, like, you guys have gotten so many accolades in the short film circuit. Like, it's <laughs> it's been doing really, really well. And, yeah, like I said previously, it's officially out. So if people want to see it, yeah. go out and see it. It's on YouTube, Vimeo, and I think IGTV? I think so, yeah.
0: Um, you can follow yeah. at, um, at Short Film. That's K-A-E-R-U, short film. Um, Get us some of those YouTube views, eh? Leave a like.
1: (laughs) Uh, I feel like you do such an amazing job uh, promoting your art, your prints, and just yourself as an artist. How have you used your platform like Instagram and Twitter to grow your voice as an artist?
0: That's like such an interesting question. I feel like I have such a (laughs) love-hate relationship with social media. (laughs) Yeah, I I don't really know what to say about Twitter because I I've tried to get into Twitter. I have a Twitter. I really don't like using Twitter. Um, <laughs> it's just not my thing. Um, I like browsing Twitter, but not posting <laughs> on Twitter. Um, I feel like using social media has been a good outlet for me to and a good source of uh, motivation to make personal art. Um, I feel like it's always kind of a push and pull because there's times where I'm like oh I'm super inspired to make this thing I really want to make it and then share it with you know my followers and share it with my friends who are also all on you know social media Mm -hmm. but then at the same time it can easily become like oh I haven't posted anything in like two weeks I need to post something or I'm going to lose engagement and so (laughs) it's
1: (laughs) It's, it's hard. Time. It's it's yeah. hard.
0: It's hard to stay on top of it, especially like now when there's so much wild stuff happening in the world and and also since I work full-time. But like I think when I first started out on social media, which was I did have a deviant art, but uh I was pretty active on Tumblr for a long time. And I felt like the the community on Tumblr, that I had kind of become a part of, and that just that ability to share my work with people was a great way to. It was a great way for me to like explore things that I wanted to explore, and like if I really wanted to make a certain fan art, you know, I'd be like, "Oh yeah, I'm gonna make this," and like share it with people. I'm so excited, and like it was a fun way to just like kind of get out those like I don't like like those little bits of artistic inspiration that you can't really get out at work. We're in school Mm -hmm. yeah social media as a whole is like i feel like you could talk about social media and art for like hours
1: um (laughs) no, totally i think that could just be an entire podcast within itself
0: yeah honestly it's like it's a good topic because so many people weigh the value of their art with you know how successful they are on social media and Mm -hmm. like even though it can be like Social media is great, but like you can meet so many people. And like I've met a lot of other artists through social media who are super talented and super inspiring. And just like, you know, being able to curate your feed so you see like constantly like good art is like, oh, you know, that's so cool. I wish I could draw like that. You know, maybe I'll try something out. Um mm-hmm. it can also as much as much as it can be super inspiring and like a positive it can equally be discouraging and a negative impact especially when you get caught up in like numbers Mm. um so it's definitely like it's hard social media is hard um
1: yeah but it can be very rewarding so obviously when you have the time it looks like you really enjoy creating personal art especially for you Uh, why do you think creating personal art is important to you?
0: Personal work. I feel like is a good way to just like try out new things. And, um, especially like since at work, you know, I work, especially if you're working on a production, you're kind of working on someone else's dream. You're working on someone else's personal project. Which is, which can bring, it's like, like that can be super inspiring too, and can make you want to make your own stuff, but actually setting aside time when, when you have the motivation to do so, um, to do stuff that you're interested in, I think is really helpful. Kind of like how we explored in our short film, uh, um, to help you remember like why you like doing art in the first place. Or at least why I like doing art in the first place.
1: And so with, within your art as part, like um, other influences. Do you ever feel like, do you feel like your cultural background plays a role in your voice as an artist in any way, shape or form?
0: Uh, it probably does. I feel like I haven't paid too much attention or like analyzed my work that much to see how it manifests, but it probably does. Um, I know like in some of the projects that I kind of have in my head that I'd like to explore someday, um, I'd love to base them off of like my experience, um, like my own struggles with identity, you know, being a mixed kid. Um, So like, I feel like that's where I want it to show up the most is those projects. Once I finally get around to doing them someday, Um, But I feel like I feel like for most artists, or at least I kind of feel this way, is that even if you don't intend for your influence to show up, I think it kind of does. Um, Whether it's Mm -hmm. even if it's in mostly just your way of thinking, um, you know, it may not necessarily show up on paper, but I think it will always influence the decisions that you make in your work. In terms of what what kind of things interest you or what kind of things you want to show um, through your work,
1: no, I think I think yeah. that's very true. I think that's very true. I think oftentimes, yeah, our upbringing, whether it's related to your culture or not, just the way you grew up, it always seeps into your art in some way, shape, or form. Just some mm-hmm. people actively think about it and can manifest it uh, more, and other people are just super, super subconscious, and it just needs they just need to. Maybe take a moment and realize like, oh, the reason I like doing this is because of this. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. I feel like I, 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 I've I, lucked out because the project that I'm on at Tonko right now is exploring those themes like mm. super literally um, in a super relatable way. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I feel like I get a lot of that at work. So maybe that's why it doesn't show up as much, um, on Instagram, but, um, I, I feel like someday I I definitely want to like, I want to get to a point where I'm a lot more conscious of that. And like, Mm -hmm. especially once I start like pursuing my own projects in a more like official capacity, um, Mm -hmm. I'd love to talk about my experience and hopefully people would be interested in hearing that. We'll see.
2: Totally. Do you think um, do you believe that uh, I mean, obviously aside from the past experience uh, that you have within Tonko House, um, do you believe that you have brought a lot of that to the project? Or is it just like you're working on the project and feeling like more introspective because of
1: it?
0: Um, I'm not sure, actually. I feel like because I'm still kind of new to the Mm -hmm. industry majority of the times, instead of me bringing stuff to the table, I feel like Mm. it's, it's more I'm able to take away a lot and learn a lot and, and become, yeah. And become a lot more introspective. Mm. Um, I think in terms of like, if we're talking specifically about like, cultural experience and like those kinds of aspects of who you are. Um, I'm pretty lucky because Tonko is like, we're, we're pretty diverse, or at least we have, we're, we're pretty Asian studio. Um, (laughs) I know like um, um, we, we have a lot of different people from who live all over the world who all have their own, experience. So it's been cool getting to see and learn from everybody. Um, cause we have people in Japan. Um, I think we have some people who are working from Europe, from across the, from, uh, I think we have some people on the East coast, um, some people in Singapore. Um, uh, so we're kind of all over the place. Mm-hmm. Um, so I feel like right now I've been able to Learn a lot and think more about myself and what I'm what I hope to bring to future projects. And I and I, and I probably like I probably bring my own experience into my work. Without necessarily thinking about it um, mm-hmm. too much, so I, I I hope that as I become more comfortable with, like, my work and what I'm bringing to the table in a professional uh in a, from a professional standpoint that i'll be able to like pinpoint more like concretely what that is
2: yeah very cool <laughs> yeah get like gaining a more worldly view just by like meeting and communicating with people mm-hmm. it's awesome
1: so you mentioned already that you got some personal projects that you want to do in the future but uh is there anything else that you would want to be doing artistically in the future like what do you see yourself
0: I feel like I've always kind of been the person who's more focused on what the project is that I want to work mm. on as opposed to what position I'd want to hold because I feel like if you're working on a project that you know that that interests you and that you relate to and that has a message that you want to be part of telling I feel like being able to work on something like that in any capacity whether it's you know, I'm just the VizDev artist, or I'm the lead, or I'm the arts director, or I'm directing this project. I feel like that doesn't matter to an extent. Mm -hmm. It's more just about contributing to something that you believe in.
2: Yeah, I think that's a really good mindset to have, though. Like, I mean, it kind of sounds corny, but also it's like completely true that like, once you do get into the industry like this, and you are working on a project that you just believe in, it like doesn't matter. You could be doing production, or uh, you could be doing art, or whatever. Mm-hmm. And like, maybe you're not exactly in the position that you want, but if you believe in the project, you're like, I'm still part of this. Sorry, mm-hmm. my dog's under my desk.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I saw the dog tail, so cute.
2: That's that's also yeah, a good thing to keep in mind is like, uh, if I'm I'm working with good people. Or mm-hmm. if the project is really good. Like,
1: yeah,
2: yeah. you'll be satisfied. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I
1: think I think that's the thing I keep hearing a lot myself is that even, I guess the thing I hear more like even if the project you're working on isn't necessarily like what you saw yourself doing, when you have a good crew and just good coworkers, it just makes the process a lot more fun because then you you just enjoy what you're doing because you're enjoying, you're enjoying who you're working with.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I think yeah. that's something that uh, people will realize, like, well, yeah, once they actually get to enter the industry, because I think as a student, you do focus super on like, oh, I want to be at this studio or I want to be this position, and sometimes mm-hmm. the fun, the the funnest part is working, working with people. So finally, uh, kind of wrap this up: is what advice do you have for any students that want to pursue uh, work? in the animation industry.
0: I think it's to just while you're in school to continue to make as many connections with your peers as possible. I feel like that's the biggest benefit of going to a school and specifically learning animation is being able to be part of a learning environment where everyone has similar interests. To you and similar goals, and you're all working super hard to try to to break into the industry to get to this place, this like that you're all trying to get to. I, I think that's my piece of advice: is just to really enjoy the time that you have in school, make those connections with your peers, work together, um, and then once you're out of school, you know, help each other out, yeah. um, keep each other inspired, especially right now since you know, everybody's remote and everybody's looking for jobs, C- cultivate, cultivate that, that feeling that you have at school um, so that you can have it when you're not in school
1: anymore. think It's really great. I like that. I think it's very true. I think we, <laughs> yeah, it's good advice. Um, it feels kind of corny, but like, no, but, but <laughs> it, no, I mean, but it's, it's, it's all true. <laughs> yeah. I, like I appreciate all the connections that I made while I was in school and like, I keep in touch with a lot of people still, and I think, yeah, like even even now, I try to recommend people or try to see if I can help mm-hmm. people out. Hopefully, also getting their foot in the door, which is, which is great.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: yeah, I, I totally agree with everything you said.
2: Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, well, where can you. our listeners find you? Yeah, and is there anything else you want to plug?
0: Um, uh, what do I want to plug? Uh, you can follow me on social media if you're interested. Uh, I'm on Instagram mostly. Sometimes I'm on Twitter. Um, you can find me at at underscore rebchan. Oh, Tonko House has just released a, a little mini series that they've worked on. Uh, some of my coworkers have done this little side project called Acorns. Yeah. Um, cool. It just released on YouTube. They'll, I think they're premiering like one episode per week. Um, it's really cute.
1: Yeah, so cute. Um, uh
2: it's
0: super adorable. It's, it's
2: really cute. I think <laughs> I just followed them last week. I was like, oh, Tonko please.
0: Really <laughs> it's super cute. Um, if you need just a little bit of serotonin, go check it out. Um, <laughs> I think it's on I think they have a dedicated YouTube channel. Uh Tonko House Acorns or something like that. Um Yeah. Watch the watch the Go Go Corey Carson Christmas special on Netflix, which came out. Uh, I did not work on it, but all my friends did. <laughs> um, support support my Brecky team. My team Brecky.
2: Nice. And for our audience, if you enjoyed our time with Rebecca today, please rate us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you tune in. Uh, follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Straight Ahead AP, and let us know your response to today's in between question. Or if you have any suggestions for future in between questions contact us on social media or send us an email at StraightAheadPodcast at gmail.com. If you have any suggestions for guests, please tweet at us. We love discovering new artists and want to use this platform to boost these voices of the future. And finally, a big thanks to our music composer, Daniel Rodier.
1: Thanks again for listening. And thank you once again to our guest who has a bright future straight ahead. Until next week, have a wonderful day. Bye. Bye.
0: Bye -bye. (laughs) Bye-bye.